Welcome to the fifth episode of Reimagining Defence, brought to you by Lieutenant Colonel Henry Willey and myself, Flight Lieutenant James Coote. The thoughts are our own and don't represent the MOD. This podcast is for people who want to become bilingual in the languages of defence and technology. Through examining how exponential technologies are fundamentally disrupting organisations worldwide, we explore how we might harness them to reimagine defence. If data is the fuel, AI is the engine that turns this fuel into power. AI has been around as a concept since the 1950s, but only recently, due to the exponential improvements in computing, the advent of deep learning, and the convergence of technologies enabled by the cloud, are we starting to suddenly see that AI's effect on the world will be profound. In this episode, we'll explore how AI already affects our everyday lives through the humble Google search, what happened when an AI ran for mayor in Japan, and finally, what an AI-led section attack might look like. So what is AI? Put simply, it's the concept of a non-human entity like a computer performing tasks typically requiring a human level of intellect. Perhaps learning how to play chess, then beating a human, or something more useful like learning how to diagnose breast cancer from a mammogram then outperforming doctors. Machine learning, or ML for short, refers to the computing methods that actually underlie AI. So for example, Google search possesses a degree of artificial intelligence due to the machine learning algorithms with which it's built. One other term we want to touch on is deep learning, which is a powerful type of machine learning algorithm which has recently grown to prominence. Deep learning algorithms comprise neural networks that loosely mimic how the brain learns. Now, these algorithms win most of the world's top machine learning competitions, and indeed most of the use cases described in this episode use them. How ML actually works is probably best explained by the simple example of your email spam filter. With traditional computer programming, if you wanted to code a spam filter, you'd have to hard code some rules into it. For example, if terms like sex or congratulations, you're our lucky winner were in the subject line, your spam filter might filter it. This might be partially effective, but spammers would quickly work out a way to game your filter by simply choosing different subject lines and you'd be caught in an endless game of cat and mouse. You'd also likely block some important emails accidentally too especially if you're working at a sexual health clinic, perhaps. Machine learning takes an entirely different approach. It doesn't require you to hard-code rules. Instead, your program consists of a flexible machine learning algorithm which you train with millions of examples of which emails are spam and which aren't. It learns its own rules for identifying spam and then uses these to filter new emails as spam or not spam. There are a lot of reasons why this approach is more effective. Firstly, it saves the programmer a lot of time, as they don't have to come up with a long list of rules and continually update them. The machine learning algorithm does it automatically, learning from the examples you gave it. Secondly, the machine learning algorithm is not bounded by a human's attention span, nor a human's ability to recognize subtle or seemingly illogical patterns. This means it can look at millions or even billions of examples of spam 
and learn weak patterns, such as very subtle clues in the text, the time it was sent, or its format, which humans might never notice. This is a really simple example, but these principles of taking a flexible algorithm, such as a neural network, training it on some labelled examples, then the machine learning being able to make accurate predictions when shown a new example it's never seen before, hold true to many modalities of data and can be applied to a remarkable number of problems. Let's first take the Google search. On the face of it, the Google search is very simple, yet it's a large part of the reason why we're able to act far smarter than our parents, even if we have the same natural ability, because almost every bit of information we could ever desire is at our fingertips. Just imagine what it was like for our parents back in high school. If they wanted to know how far away Mars is, or who Fermi was, they'd have to look in the library. Or you simply type into Google search and have the answer provided in short form, video form, image form, and essay form in milliseconds. The behavioural economist Yan Chen quantified just how useful this is. He gave people a list of questions in 2014 and gave half of them access to the internet and half to a library. Those with access to the internet won, unsurprisingly, by on average 15 minutes per question. Considering that Google performs 3.5 billion searches per day, the machine learning powered search engine is saving thousands of lifetimes of wasted time a day. But what does machine learning have to do with a search engine, you ask? So let's lift up the bonnet on a Google search. First, you type in your query. Perhaps, what's a good chat-up line? Google uses a natural language processing algorithm, that is, machine learning that makes sense of text, to work out the meaning of your request, whilst also automatically correcting your spelling mistakes and detecting the language it should display its search results in. Next, it starts to find relevant web pages by matching the keywords of your search to sites that contain them. Now it needs to rank the relevant pages. One of its relevancy machine learning algorithms learns which pages people with the same question have clicked on and stayed on, crucial for working out whether individuals found the page useful for finding a satisfactory answer. Others of the algorithms assess which sites are user-friendly, whether sites are reputable, and also whether sites work well across a variety of screen sizes and load quickly, crucial if you're looking for that killer chat-up line whilst on the tube on the way to your date with brief moments of free Wi-Fi in each stop. Hopefully that simple example illustrates how machine learning can make perfect sense of an extraordinarily large and complex dataset in a fraction of a second, providing a resource which has transformed how half of the planet's population accesses information every day. Having covered two perhaps obvious examples of where machine learning touches everyone's lives, let's briefly talk about some data types other than text in emails and web pages to appreciate the ubiquity with which AI is beginning to affect our lives. Voice and the language it conveys is perhaps one of the fastest growing domains of machine learning, with a growing number of households now being occupied by Alexa or competitors' equivalents. These use machine learning algorithms to both continuously improve at understanding the exact words you say and also the meaning of your message 
aka natural language processing. Future applications of this technology will get a lot more impressive, but potentially more invasive too. Google are working with Stanford at the moment on a natural language processing tool which will free doctors from having to write notes. The consultation will simply be recorded, and their tool won't simply transcribe it, it'll instead summarise the key information from the consult in a concise format, and then record that in the notes. Given that many clinicians spend 60% of their job simply entering patient notes into an electronic patient care record, this could lead to incredible redistribution of their efforts to actually caring for patients. Imagine such a tool being developed for automatically collating the minutes of your meetings too, or logging queries in a call centre. iFlyTech, a Chinese company that specialise in AI and particularly natural language processing, have created a world-leading natural language generation product, which uses machine learning trained on an individual's voice not just to understand it, but to mimic it, both in the individual's native language and even in other languages too. They trained their algorithms on a number of recordings of Donald Trump's voice, and then used his voice to give the introductory speech to a Chinese AI conference. Take a listen to this. I'm very happy to meet you here on iFlyTech's annual announcement. It's a great thing to build a better world with artificial intelligence. AI first. You probably found the second half of this quite difficult to understand as Trump seamlessly transitioned into fluent Mandarin. Applications such as this will not only be useful to us on operations, as our interpreters are converted to a phone application that speaks with our own native voice and intonation, but also threaten severe disruptions through information operations. Imagine if the chief of the defence staff received a fake phone call from a convincing voice mock-up of the Prime Minister, giving him instructions that manipulated his actions. Now, if you checked out the video of Trump opening this conference, you would also be able to see President Trump's lips moving in time with the speech, showing that machine learning models can be combined to analyse data from multiple modalities and produce a coherent output across the auditory spectrum and the visual spectrum. Computer vision is the application of machine learning to images and video and is potentially another massive disruptor. The Chinese company Beidou has claimed use of computer vision to identify people with fever passing through Beijing rail station, screening at a mass scale for coronavirus so these individuals can be prevented from getting on public transport and infecting large swathes of others. Other examples include KFC in China, who allowed people simply to pay by having their face recognised by cameras in the takeout and their account automatically charged. What happens when we can simply walk or drive onto base without a security check? Because the cameras, equipped with computer vision, can automatically ID check our faces, and infrared cameras automatically check there's no human-shaped figures hiding in the boot or under the seats, all conducted by machine learning algorithm. Now, machine learning is also starting to find its way into the modality of touch, but it's relatively further behind in this area. 
Now, robotic surgery is becoming more and more widely utilized. And though a surgeon currently sits in control of the robot, not AI, it is quite obvious that the data collected from the many millions of robotic surgeries conducted around the world, the surgical movements made and how these lead to the outcomes of a successful wound closure, for example, is perfect training material for machine learning to eventually control robots to conduct many forms of surgery. Will that be so strange? We all want the most experienced surgeon to do our operation. How will we feel when a robot has undertaken more surgeries than every other living surgeon within your country combined? Already Google and Johnson & Johnson have a startup in this space called Verb Surgery and other competitors such as Star, a robot that can suture soft tissue such as skin, already claim to be able to outperform surgeons in specific tasks. Within the military, this could of course be particularly useful in austere environments, or even in space. Let's end this section of current examples with some more bizarre ones. What about the AI-written novel which made it to the final round of Japan's National Literary Prize in 2017, showing AI's creative side? Or the Microsoft chatbot called Showice, trained for friendliness and keeping a conversation going using neural networks. She's now had over 30 billion conversations with 100 million humans and gives some eerily sage advice. When one user confided in Showice that he thought his girlfriend was mad at him, she replied, Are you more focused on what tears things apart than holds things together? Microsoft are considering curfewing Showice. This example leads us neatly into some other cautionary tales of machine learning. First of all, as discussed in the data episode, with machine learning, the predictions made by an algorithm are directly related to the quality of the data. If the data contains biases, guess what? The machine learning is going to be biased. Take, for example, medical AI applications developed in Europe and Silicon Valley, which might be trained to predict diseases based upon a number of features. Since, however, the data that was used to train the algorithms is predominantly Caucasian, ethnic minorities may be underserved and the advice given to them of a lower quality. Or what about legal assistance machine learning algorithms that suggest bail amounts and sentence lengths that some individuals are concerned reflect racial biases in past court cases that form their training data? Secondly, the quantity of data needed for impressive performance is vast. So unless data is massive and systematically collected, AI performance will be undermined. To give but one example, take Google DeepMind's work on identifying diabetic eye disease from a picture of the back of the eye. Their neural network is now extremely accurate, outperforming experienced eye specialist doctors, but took over 100,000 examples to train, each one independently labelled by seven eye specialists an absolutely vast dataset. Appreciating this context, we have to realize the importance of collecting data systematically and storing it somewhere that's accessible, the cloud. Thirdly, it's worth nodding to the fact that if you're holding a hammer, suddenly everything looks like a nail. Some leaders are perhaps besotted by the thoughts of ML as the next new thing, and suddenly machine learning might seem like a wonder tool. Solutions should not just be built around ML because it exists, 
but should use it when it's required and when it can add value. Avoiding these pitfalls will need appropriate leadership from a centralised specialist function that lays down the foundations for machine learning by building safe and secure infrastructure, defining best practices and guidelines and overlaying appropriate governance. This will lower the barrier to entry for our personnel and enable them to build higher quality products, an approach we outlined in the previous two episodes, referred to by some as the base layer approach. Having now explored some examples, let's dive deep into a few examples of where ML might utterly revolutionise the way our military acts. First, by taking some inspiration from NASA and a British startup. Forest fires can be absolutely devastating to individuals' livelihoods and contribute significantly to global warming too. Spotting them early and taking quick action to prevent their spread is critical. Keeping eyes on the ground is is simply not feasible. So NASA trained neural networks to identify and map forest fires from satellite imagery with an accuracy of 98%. This means that orbiting satellites can provide real-time, eyes-on monitoring of the globe for early detection of forest fires and alert the fire services instantly if one is spotted. The AI never sleeps and rarely misses a beat. Even with emergency services having put out the fire rapidly due to the early warning though, large areas may still have been devastated by the blaze and subsequently require replanting. British startup Dendra have found a machine learning centred approach to this problem. They map the area devastated by the fire, then use another machine learning algorithm to plot optimal routes for autonomous drones that then fly through these deforested areas shooting pods full of seeds and nutrients into the ground at optimal spacing. A single human operator can control six drones and replant up to 100,000 trees per day. What could the military train neural networks to identify with real-time satellite imagery and autonomous drones? Use the satellite imagery to track refugee crises in real time and autonomously drop off vital medications and supplies to those that need them most? Or perhaps use the imagery to identify terrorist training camps and automatically deploy covert drones to silently sit above them and gather further intelligence upon them? Having thought about how machine learning might be used to automate intelligence gathering or an action which might otherwise take humans some time, let's also face up to the idea that machine learning might one day prove to be a useful commander. This might sound crazy, but already an AI ran for mayor in a province of Japan in 2018. It gained 4,000 votes and finished in third place. Let's imagine the command and control of a number of sections carrying out an attack on a number of enemy positions, simultaneously. Tactics need to be devised, but then they need to react quickly to what occurs on the ground, often a highly complex combination of actions. Get the decisions wrong, and lives are lost. Now there's already no doubt that machine learning can outperform humans at complex tactical board games such as Go, which has 10, with 170 zeros after it, number of potential moves. Which begs the question, how many potential moves does a section attack have? Making the case even more compelling is the fact that machine learning as a commander would never get tired or let its emotions come into things. 
has the computational power to train itself on many thousands of premier skirmishes, more than any military commander could ever hope to. It's able to think, unconstrained by culture and uniform training, and can run accurate simulations of what might happen and provide all but the most complex decision in microseconds. This concept, which some refer to as algorithmic warfare, is exciting but challenging, not only from an ethical standpoint, but also from a practicality one. Some may argue that no machine learning will ever replicate the situational awareness of a military commander at a tactical or strategic level. Time will tell. What is important to note, though, is that we do not have a sixth sense, commanders, doctors or investors alike. Making better sense of data is what leads to better decisions, and as ML continues to progress exponentially and meets the exponentially increasing quality and quantity of data provided by IoT sensors, as a soldier, I'd want the decisions that reach me to arrive in microseconds have been simulated a thousand times whilst I've been waiting, and to have taken in many magnitudes more information than my commander ever could have. That being said, we also have to appreciate that currently ML excels at bounded tasks, but simply can't match a human's judgment across domains, nor can it interact with humans with compassion or empathy. Realising our unique human abilities and limits, then augmenting them appropriately with machine learning, is the immediate challenge for our leaders over the coming years. To conclude, I suspect many of you have been shocked by some of the examples in this episode and how far ahead the private sector, in some cases, is racing ahead of defence. Getting to grips with ML needs to be on every military leader's radar because, as Henry pointed out in the first episode, digital transformation is 90% about people and only 10% about technology. We're intrigued as to what thoughts the episode sparked within you, should machine learning form a part of our ongoing education courses like Staff College? Should digital literacy and mastery be part of promotion criteria? Should soldiers be encouraged to take succumbents in private companies at the cutting edge of ML so they can bring these skills back to the military? We're excited to hear what you think. We hope you enjoyed this episode, narrated and written by myself, Flight Lieutenant James Coote, and edited by Lieutenant Colonel Henry Willey. We'd like to thank AADP, the Army's Advanced Development Programme, and the RAF Medical Services for allowing us the journalistic freedom to create this podcast. The thoughts are our own and do not represent the MOD or these organisations. If you want to delve deeper, you can access the script and references for this podcast by sending a blank email with your rating of the podcast from 0 to 10 in the subject line to redefpod at gmail.com or by checking out our Twitter at redefpod. Just to be clear, redefpod is R-E-D-E-F-P-O-D. For those who want to learn how to code, apply data science or learn agile project management techniques, Check out the J-Hub coding scheme, where you'll get paid up to £500 for learning these skills and have your achievement logged on JPA. Just search J-Hub coding scheme on DefNet. Finally, if this podcast has sparked any ideas for innovative capability that you want to get into the hands of military users, you can submit your ideas via the new GEMS platform found at def-ideas.wazoku.com. Alternatively, reach out directly to DARE for the Navy, Aerial for the Army, 
RCA for the RAF or J-Hub for Stratcom, all found by a quick search on DefNet. If you've enjoyed this episode on reimagining defense, we'd be over the moon if you could share it with a friend and leave us a five-star review. Until our next episode on the Internet of Things, take care.